Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Are both gone. Justin, as you know, before he came to Damascus Road, he was leading a, cal- a student ministry on campus called His House. And uh, he kind of doubled for a little bit. He was involved in leading the student ministry or the, the college age ministry there. And um, he was also kind of his on-ramp to being on staff here at Damascus Road. So today, um, one of his former students and who later became an intern with his house and then now took over the position that Justin had, uh, Jake is going to be preaching here this morning. So that's wonderful, right? To be able to see the, we, we keep talking about discipleship, right? And how the call of the church as disciples is to make disciples who make disciples. So for me, when I hear that Justin came and was serving in a, in a ministry here on campus and one of his students was there, and who knows what the conversations were like back in the day, right? But I would imagine that there were conversations where Justin and Jake are up at night talking about real life stuff and studying scripture and how does the gospel fit into your life here, right? And so then for just for for Justin to leave and for Jake to step into that, that to me is what discipleship looks like. Amen. So we get to we get to have the treat of having Justin of Justin's disciple, if you will. I don't want to beat that thing to death, but Really, it is something, right? So we want to so we want to welcome Jake up here as he uh, comes to open the word to us. Hello, as Tony just mentioned, I'm Jake. My name is Jake McClanahan. I work on campus with His House Christian Fellowship here at UW Madison, and it is an honor to be with you guys today. It is an honor to worship with you guys today. That was great. I love worship. It, it feeds my soul. And so my prayer for this next half an hour is just that some of these words can feed your soul as well. So when I got the assigned scripture for today, it instantly sent me back to a memory that I had with some of my ministry students from this past spring. So what happened was one day as I was coming back from on campus where I usually take my time to study, uh, get ready for whatever teaching I'm doing that week, just pray, spend some time just listening to God. I got back to our campus house where a bunch of the students live together in community. And two of them were in a pretty serious conversation. And I couldn't help but overhear it. And as I got deeper into the conversation, I found out that they had had quite the experience that day. One of the women from our house had been walking back from her classes, and she had seen a woman lying at a bus stop on her way back home, just crying her eyes out. And the cops were pulling up. And it had really struck her. She had seen this, and she couldn't help but feel like somebody needed to go and help that woman. And so when she got back, and one of our other students noticed that she had this worried look on her face, they figured out what was going on, and and they actually just went straight back out there to the bus stop and sat with this woman. The cops were wonderful. They were helping the woman out, but there was only so much that they could do because it turns out that her purse had gotten stolen. And as they're sitting there, they realize that not only was it a big deal because it sucks to get your purse stolen, but she had had her airplane ticket back home in that purse. She had had all her identification that she could use to get another ticket in her purse. She had all the money she was going to use to get to the airport in her purse. 
And so as they're sitting there, um, they figured it out. They, they brought her back to the house, got her some water, calmed her down, actually ended up driving her out to the airport, um, gave her some money for food, tried to help her get it figured out so she could get back on her plane. And in the end, I, I'm not telling the story. The, the scripture didn't remind me of the story because of the awesome blessing that my students were to this woman, as great as that was to see. It was actually kind of bittersweet for me to see. And it wasn't bittersweet because they did anything wrong. It was, a, it was bittersweet because I happened to, to walk past that exact bus stop on my way to, to go study and on my way to go pray. I, I passed that bus stop two times, and I didn't see this lady. I didn't stop for her. I, I can't really know if she was there when I passed by the first time, if she was there when I passed by the second time. And I can't really know that what I would have done had I even seen her, right? But it, it struck me that I didn't see her, and luckily my students did. I, I have a routine when I go to study. I, I put some headphones on, I, I get in the groove, I'm usually praying to myself because I'm, I'm focused. I'm focused on getting the teaching ready. I'm focused on whatever student I'm meeting. And yet that day, that focus seemed to get in the way of seeing a place where there was need of seeing a neighbor that was in need. And uh, today, we have the privilege of going through a piece of scripture that I think speaks directly to those times in our lives. It's definitely spoken to me, and I hope it speaks to you as well. The scripture is from, if you'll turn to it with me, Luke 16, and we're going to be going through verses 19 to 31. It's called the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, and just for a little bit of context going into this piece of scripture, this is a place where Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching various people. Uh, earlier in the chapter, he had actually rebuked a lot of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. And he had basically called them out for being way too much in love with money. And then he turned back to his disciples and he was teaching them about the way that they should live their present lives. And the Pharisees kind of started to mock him again. They were mocking his teaching as they're sitting there listening to what he's saying to his disciples. And that brings us directly to this parable where he's actually kind of pushing back a little bit. He's rebuking those religious leaders. He's, he's warning them about what's going to come with the actions that they're taking. And so if you'll read with me, I'm in the English Standard Version. Uh, the scripture reads, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being, tor being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. <clears throat> and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, 
and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they they will repent. And Abraham says again, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Wow. That's... (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot going on there. There's, I, I can tell you that when I first jumped into this parable, when I first realized that this is what Justin was asking me to speak on, I was kind of like, oh, what, really? This one? It's got to be this one. Because we, we've, let's list them off. We've got some angels going around. We've got Hades in there somewhere. There's dogs licking people. Some guy decides to speak with Abraham across a chasm that can't be passed. And with so much going on, In a parable like this, there's just a ton of room for confusion. There's a ton of room for us to get wrapped into these little pieces that we want to be so interested about, right? Angels? That sounds cool. I want to know know more about angels. Jesus is talking about it. It's got to be a thing. Or Hades? What's Hades? Do we get to know what heaven and hell look like from this thing that Jesus is talking about? It makes some of these parable's a little dangerous if we don't give it the due study, the due time. Jesus is usually trying to tell us something pretty applicable to our everyday lives when he gives these parables out. It's, it's usually not as complicated as we want to make it. And so before we actually go and dive headlong into what Jesus is telling us with this parable, I think with this specific one, it's really, really important that we go down a list of a couple things that he is definitely not telling us with this parable, just to get him out of the way, because we're intrigued. We, we want to think in our human nature that we're going to learn something about these big, grand things. And I don't believe that that's what Jesus is telling us in this space. So three things that the parable's not talking about, that we can't let our focus be drawn to when we're reading these words of Christ. The first one... This parable's not saying anything about heaven and hell. It's, it's just not. We've got Hades on one side, the rich man sitting there in anguish. We've got Lazarus at the side of Abraham, seeming like this paradise of a place where he gets his reward, and it's this role reversal thing, right? And we want to ask ourselves, wow, so they, they like see each other, and they can talk to each other. Is that how heaven and hell's going to be like? We want to take all of these little details that we see from here. Like, man, their tongues are going to be on fire. Like, I get to just stand by Abraham all day and walk around? No. This is actually a very common theme that's used in folklore of Jesus' times, this idea of role reversal, right? We have this guy getting all the good stuff, this guy getting all the bad stuff, and then all of a sudden it just switches. And I think there are a few things that we can really take away from these ideas, but they're not the main point of the parable. We might be able to look at this and say, you know what, it looks like the lives we live 
have a serious bearing on what happens to us after we live our lives. That there are serious consequences for choices that we make here in life. But if we try to make this parable any more about heaven and hell than that, I think we get into really dangerous waters. The second thing we have to avoid is just like it. It's this idea of how are we judged? What does it take to get salvation? And if you were just going to give a really cursory reading of what salvation looks like from this, it would be simple. It would be like everybody who's poor goes to heaven and everybody who's not, sorry. And yet, from all of the rest of scripture, from, from all of the words that we hear from Jesus' mouth, we can understand that that's just not how it works, right? Jesus doesn't say anything about faith in this whole thing. And that should be a huge red flag for us when it comes to applying this parable to how we're going to be judged, to what it takes to gain that righteousness that we were talking about in the worship time. We don't know if Lazarus was a good guy or not. It doesn't say anything about his actions. And we don't know much about the actions of the rich man. He's made out to be kind of a jerk, but we don't see a lot. We don't see enough, most definitely, to make any claims on what that looks like. So that's another thing that Jesus is not talking about here in this passage. And the last one is probably the most surprising one. I don't think Jesus is even talking specifically about wealth or poverty. He's using these ideas to make a larger point. But I don't think it's just as simple as if you're rich, you need to give to the poor. That would be a nice, easy takeaway. It's just not it. So hopefully at that point, you're thinking, okay, well, I get how it's not heaven and hell. I get how it's not talking about how we're judged, but you're telling me this isn't even about wealth. That's the only thing that it's talking about, Jake. But I, I don't see where you're going with this. And it's because in the end, what this parable is telling us about is a way that we're called to live our lives right here in the present. It's not talking about what happens to us after we die. Jesus is using wealth, his favorite theme in the whole Bible, to convict these Pharisees and the disciples that are hearing it about how they're supposed to live right there and then. And hopefully it convicts us of the same thing. He's making it clear to the Pharisees, to the disciples, to us, that we need to do a better job of seeing the people around us in our lives, seeing their needs. And that that doesn't always look like something that's easy to do, and it definitely doesn't always look like something that we do on a regular basis. The rich man definitely didn't do it. I've failed, as you heard in the story at the beginning. And I think we all have at various times in our lives, right? And so as we dive into what this parable is really saying, as we dive into trying to better understand how are we going to see the people around us better, how, and, and what are the steps that we can take after that, I hope that we get a little bit closer to being able to carry out the vision of Christ in our lives. So the, the first thing, then, in this idea 
is that we have to actually see the people. We have to be aware of them. We have to notice the needs that are around us. And I think there are three, I'm going to say there's three different categories of stuff that can blind us. In this parable, Jesus uses wealth, right? We know wealth is a great blinder to seeing those around us. And it's Jesus' favorite, and it's no surprise that he uses it because he had, he's speaking to Pharisees that he was just beating up about loving money too much. He's telling these Pharisees, like, you are blinded by your wealth. You're not even seeing these people that I'm talking to, that you're mocking me for talking to. And so what are these three categories? The first one's sin, right? And that's one that we're all aware of. That's one that we're brutally aware of when we're trying to follow Christ, right? And we all understand how sin can blind us, how our focus can drift that direction, how it turns our, our eyes inward, right? It's hard for us to see the needs of the people around us when our eyes just get flipped in. And it sounds like the rich man in today's parable, he was, he was greedy, right? We don't know what his life was like on a large level, but we can assume that his eyes got flipped in on himself. And the good news for us is we have a community of people around us that are usually pretty good at calling us out on our sin. If we let our eyes drift too far towards sin, we've got fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to turn us around. But that's something that we have to do better about, right? The second category is kind of gray. There's these more neutral things that the Bible doesn't say are inherently sinful, right? It's not lust. It's not murder. But we understand how they are so easily corrupted, how we so easily put them on the throne that Jesus deserves and view them as idols. These are things like wealth, power, influence. It's not that we're told we can't have these things, that the second you get some money or some power, you're in sin. But we also, I think, all understand on a base level how that easily turns to greed, like in this story, how that easily turns to oppression, and how it easily turns our eyes back in on ourselves as well. And that's the, that's the category that Jesus hits, right? He, he hits wealth right on the nose. And I have no reason to think that he wouldn't use the same thing to convict us of his message for seeing people today. But there is a third category, too. And I think the third category is more dangerous because we don't like to think about it. Um, there's, there's good things in our lives that can blind us to the needs of those around us. Our families, our church, our, our ministries. Um, these are things that we're called to in Scripture, to, to do, and they are good. And yet, if we let ourselves focus on those things too much, they can also blind us to the needs of others. Look at me bobbing around with my headphones on, possibly walking right past the lady who was really hurting because I was so focused on my ministry. And is it a black and white line? No. But even these good things in our lives can turn our eyes inward and get us into some serious trouble when it comes to seeing the needs of others. And sadly, like I don't think there's many people that are going to come and like catch me focusing too much on my ministry to the point where I miss people's needs, where, to the point where I'm not seeing my brothers and sisters. I'm probably going to get a pat on the back, right? Because I'm focused on a good thing. And that makes these, 
third category of things scary to me. It makes it dangerous, and it makes it something that we need to be aware of. But then the question begs itself, well, if we can't, if we can't focus on sin, we know that, that's easy. We can't focus too much on these neutral things. Like, I get, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to lust after power. But you're telling me I can't even turn my eyes outward and focus too much on service, focus too much on my family or on ministry. Like, I just have to look for all of the people around me all the time. That's overwhelming. And if I do that, how am I even going to take care of my family? How am I going to focus on service at all? And luckily, we have a little insight that they didn't have when Jesus was telling this original parable. And that's that we have a king we can focus our eyes on. We can place Jesus directly in the path of our vision. And the good news is that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees your family. He sees your ministry. He sees every single person that you're passing on the street and the needs that they have. And we can trust him to guide our vision well. right? We pray it all the time. Give me eyes to see. And he'll do it. He'll be faithful in that. But we have to be aware of what's blinding us. We have to be aware of what our eyes are turning towards, what we're looking at when we're not looking at Christ. Turn our eyes back there and wait for him to point and direct our vision to to the needs around us, whether that is our family, our ministry, or whether that's the lady that you're about to walk past because you're focused on something else. So once we see these people, then what do we do? Because the parable makes it clear that seeing's not enough. Lazarus was known by the rich man. The rich man reaches out to Abraham and he's like, hey, send that guy, that guy I know. He's seen him before. He was aware that there was a man sitting outside his gates, poor, yearning for food. And he either just didn't care which is the next step, or he cared and he didn't act it. So the, the second step that we have to take is we have to genuinely care once we see these people. And I think that should come pretty naturally if our eyes are already focused on Christ, right? Even the folks that don't go to church, the, the one thing they know about the Bible is love your neighbor as I, as I first loved you, right? I don't think that one needs a lot of explaining. But once we see and once we care, that's still not enough. The rich man might have cared. The rich man might have seen him, cared, felt really bad, and been like, yeah, but I got to get to the temple. Like, that's, that's the good stuff that I have to get to. We, we still have to act. And that's where we run into a lot of controversy. And that's where we don't get any answers from the parable. And sadly, I'm not going to be able to give you a lot of answers here today. Jesus doesn't tell us exactly how the rich man could have acted to end up in a better place. We know that there's something. He, he wants to repent, right? He, he wants to send Lazarus back to the realm of the living so that his brothers can repent, so they can act in some different way that doesn't end them up with the consequences that he has. So Jesus makes it clear that there's some way that we need to act He doesn't make it clear what it is. And I think a lot of the times that gets us into trouble. 
because I want to act this way towards the needs that I see, and, and my friend who's trying to help wants to act this way towards the needs that they see, and so instead of acting at all, we decide to like argue it out. <laughs> exactly what's good for that person lying there on the street? Is it, is it giving them money? Is it making sure they have a job? Is it making sure they have skills? I don't know. But there's one thing that Jesus doesn't give us the liberty of in this parable, and that's to not act at all. That's what the rich man did. He ended up in anguish. That's what the Pharisees were doing, right? And luckily for us, even though he doesn't tell us in this parable how we should act, he gives us a great example. <laughs> Jesus is the opposite of this rich man, right? This rich man's sitting there feasting every day, and outside the gates there's some poor, lonely soul. Jesus was in the palace of palaces. He was God himself, and yet he did not think that equality with God was something to be grasped while he was here on this earth. He lowered himself in a way that we cannot even fathom and walked around this earth acting towards those people in need. And what did that look like? That looked like a lot of things. Sometimes it looked like just calling somebody by their name, literally just seeing them and acknowledging them. Sometimes he healed serious illnesses. There's a large spectrum. But to do any of those actions, he lowered himself below the others. He humbled himself in a way that we cannot fathom and in a way that we are called to. And that should be a relief to us as well because that's not the only work that Jesus did. That's not the only action he took. He took the action above all other actions. He gave himself for us so that through faith in him we can have salvation. Because that's the other thing, right? Once we see the need, once we care, and we know we're supposed to act, that can be overwhelming. Because it's just like, I can't, I can't fix all of this. I can't even fix the needs of this one person sitting right here. We don't have to. We're not called to fix it. Jesus has done the work. And now we're just called to focus on him, the, the one who is worthy of our focus so that he can direct our eyes, direct our hearts, and we have to trust him then to direct the actions that we're called to take as well. If the rich man would have done that, we can assume that he would have been in a much better place. Do we know what those actions would have looked like? No. Do I know what actions you're being called to? I don't. Do I know what you're blinded by? No. I don't even know what I'm blinded by half the time. That's why it takes intentional effort. But I know that Jesus calls us to see the needs around us, to care about those needs, and to act. That he gives us a target for our attention, that he'll direct our eyes, and that he'll call us to the actions that we need to take. And that he's worthy of all of that. That we can do that at peace because he's done the hard work. And that's good news. It's really, really good news. Because if he wasn't worthy of any of that, it'd be scary, right? It's still scary, but he is worthy. And we just have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Please pray with me. Father, 
we thank you so much for the example of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you give us a place to fix our eyes, that you've sent a, your Holy Spirit to reside within us, to guide our vision, to guide our cares, our hearts, and to guide our actions as well. I ask that as we go on to worship, that you would convict us of the places where we are being blinded to the needs around us. And that as you bring that conviction, you would be faithful in bringing guidance for our actions as well. We ask that as you do that, your love would be able to shine out of this place. That your church would begin to move the way that you would have it move. And it can impact lives in this city that can bring people back to you, the only one that is worthy of our sight, of our admiration, of the throne that rests in our hearts. Thank you so much for doing the work that we could never do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.